Welcome to an episode of the Product Coalition European to London series, where today I'm excited to be joined by Chris Miles from Digital Directories. Welcome, Chris. Thank you very much for having me. I've got my co-host, James Woodley, here as well. Welcome, James. Thank you. Hello. And I want to give, a, firstly, a big shout out to Digital Directories for hosting us here at WeWork in Hoban. Digital Directories is a legal tech startup which provides a platform for people to make informed decisions about legal issues and contact legal experts. Originally founded in Paris in 2015, the French site has over 3,500 lawyers and due to its success, a sister site in Belgium was launched in 2018, followed by Italy and the UK in 2019. Now, this tour and every single podcast episode that you listen to is dedicated to raising awareness and support for the bushfire-affected communities and wildlife in Australia. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider showing your support for these causes by visiting bushfire.productcoalition.com. I'm visiting five cities across Europe to interview over 50 product leaders like Chris to gain insights, knowledge, and experience to share with you the Product Coalition global community. If you've just discovered the Product Coalition, welcome. We're a global product community with over 500,000 readers, 6,000 Slack members, and thousands of podcast listeners. Head to platform.productcoalition.com to find out more. Before we get stuck in, I need to give a huge thanks to the following brands and individuals that have been major donors to the tour fundraiser so far at bushfire.productcoalition.com. First up, I've got UserPilot, a big thank you. UserPilot is a code-free user onboarding and adoption tool designed especially for product management teams. UserPilot helps to increase conversion, user retention rates, and reduce churn by guiding new users to their first aha moment. With interactive walkthroughs, contextual product tours, and onboarding checklists, it allows product managers to build fully customizable, behavior-triggered in-app experiences with a simple visual editor. Go to userpilot.com to book your demo and get a free trial. The Intentional Product Manager, run by Shobit Chug, a Google product manager, Shobit helps product managers become product leaders and have careers they can be proud of. Go to www.intentionalproductmanager.com and sign up for Showbit's free class on the habits that turn product managers into exceptional product leaders and help them move through their careers fast. There's a few individuals that I need to thank as well. First is Rich Mironov and the second is Chris Miles. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I really appreciate the donation, Chris, and helping out. Not just here with the recording, but also making a donation donation to support the, the causes as well. Before we get stuck into the podcast of product management, is it our science? Um, we've got some icebreaker. So Melbourne was a local's guide to Melbourne. Sydney was a pub quiz. London is a game called English or Not, where you, okay. I'll give you a product and you've got to make that tough decision of was it invented in England or not? Okay. And this is all based on my trusty source of the internet. So I'm sure it's all <laughs> factually correct. The first one from me here, Chris, is the tin can, or after 15 years in Australia, the tinny, <laughs> as it's called. Is the tin can English or not? Well, I'm going to say it's likely to be English or American. I'm going to say not. I'm going to say it's an American thing. Yeah? No. <sighs> Over one. So the evidence <laughs> apparently is Peter Durand is often credited with the invention of the tin can in around 1810. He did not pursue food canon himself, though, and sold his patent in 1812 
to Brian Donkin and John Hall. That's quite a fast exit, really, isn't it? Yeah. Two-year turnaround. <laughs> Uh, I bet wish, to, isn't it? But he wish he'd just licensed it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Sash tin cans. <laughs> um, so that's the tin can in in Australia. Sorry, that was where that was invented. Well, James, second one, the lawnmower. Wow. Well, I said no to the last one, so I'm <laughs> going to say based on no real uh, knowledge of this at all, I'm going to say yes. This is English. Spot on. The world's first lawnmower was developed by Edwin Budding in 1830, supposedly. It was designed to cut grass on sports grounds and was obvious immediately superior to the traditional scythe. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. Put the scythes out of business. Yeah. See, so yeah. got to keep an well, eye on those guys the walking around with scythes. <laughs> it's been a long while since I've seen a scythe. <laughs> uh, 1830. Yes, um, sorry, their patent was granted in 1830. Well, yeah, there you wow. Are. Again, should have licensed it. Mm. Right, Chris, do, do you live in London? I do, yeah. You do? Yeah. Right, okay. Whereabouts? I live in Queen's Park, so right. northwest, yeah. Nice. I'm, I'm not born and bred London. I'm from the suburbs, not far outside of it. Right. But yeah, I've been living in London for about six years or so now. Okay, so if you were going from here to Buckingham Palace for a tea with the Queen, would you choose cab, tube, rideshare, bike, scooter or walk? From here to Buckingham Palace, I would probably get the tube, if would I'm you? honest. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't get a cab in London, just getting a cab through central London is a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, I'd probably get the tube. Yeah. Do you know the route off by heart? Which the line route. and station? Yeah, I'd probably go central line to Bond Street and then get the Jubilee line. Nice, nice. I love yeah, that. or you could go a different way and get the district. Green yeah. Park. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. And what, what is your favourite London landmark, Chris? My favourite London landmark? It's not so much a landmark, but I love Camden as an right, area. Okay. It's, it's so eclectic. I'm a big music fan, big into my rock music and my sort of punk music so that's the place to be if you like that kind of thing and i just think it's such a mishmash of cultures nationalities styles it's not a landmark but i love the camden lock area love it yeah. love it brilliant okay let's let's get stuck in then so product management is it art or science that was the topic that you chose what made you choose that topic well i think there's such a wealth of content out there for people asking the question, what is product management? And I've read so much in that space. But I felt this was kind of a niche area of that that no one had explored, or no one had explored probably given the amount of content, but that less people had explored and that I felt like I could add some some value to. It's something I've debated with people outside of product when you have that classic conversation of trying to explain what you do to people that aren't in the industry, but also within product as well and within different companies, how the roles differ. So yeah, I wanted to research that and, nice. and gather a bit of data on that to try and work out whether it was art or science nice. can i ask what, what's been your career path to the hot seat today how have you ended up in this world of product management so i started off my career in consultancy sort of large scale it implementation projects so very much traditional waterfall you know lots of business analyst roles product management uh, project management roles which is definitely not the same thing <laughs> And then I transitioned into another consultancy where I started to work more on people change, digital change, and then moving more into the product space. And it was a lot more the consultancy side from the implementation side. That's where I picked up my love for for product, really, and customer experience, particularly digital customer experience. It just really spoke to me in terms of the skills it required, which I think I'll probably come on to when we talk about that in more detail later. And then I joined BT after those two stints in consultancy, where I was working as a senior product manager within their digital team. And then I've, I've kept that forward now going into digital directories, where I'm sort of looking after the product, very, very small product function for now. 
um, but we have aspirations to be much bigger. So I started in consulting and then I sort of started off with that broader traditional side of things and then worked my way into the agile and the product space. Can you tell us a little bit more about digital directories and what they do? Sure. Yeah, so currently we focus on the legal profession, but you probably can tell from our name that it's broader than that. And our aspiration is certainly to create a product which is more white label that we can go out to different industries with. So currently we have a number of sites. We have a site in the UK, which is called Credible with a Q. We have Justify France and Justify Belgium. And then we have Legala Perme in Italy. And we also have a site in France for people trying to find an accountant. So that's the premise of all the sites is people trying to find advice or consultation in accountancy and the legal space. But we definitely, over the next few years, want to push out and use that core functionality that we have to become more a place that you can get advice and not necessarily somewhere where you're just trying to find a lawyer to talk to. You might just need legal advice, may require a lawyer, may, may not, and then use that to expand into other industries and, and territories as well. Fantastic. So product management, is it art or science? Before I hear about how you've come up with your answer and the research, etc. James, representing the engineering <laughs> and technology division yeah. or, or audience, I'm keen to know, what's your thoughts on this question? So, yeah, sometimes it feels like both to be quite honest. And it depends who you talk to, I think. We've had some times where you've been told, you know, we don't know really why this thing's going to add value, but we really believe it will. Versus here's a whole load of user statistics that shows that people are crying out for this thing. So yeah, I'm kind of on the fence on this topic. So interested <laughs> to see where we go from here. So. All right, Chris. So tell us, how did you go about coming up with an answer? Are you going to share the answer now or shall we save that to the end? I'll, sh I'll share the answer at the end. Right, okay. But I'll talk you through the process and some of the results I found. Please Great. do. One thing I did was I created a bit of a survey. The premise of the survey to those that took part in it was nothing to do with this RB science question, right? So I didn't want anyone to be swayed. I didn't want it to be a biased survey. I wanted it to be objective. And actually a big thanks to some people from the product coalition community that oh, awesome. took part in this survey. Also the product school community yep, as well, right. as well as previous and, and current colleagues. Mm. So I interviewed, uh, surveyed 49 people of which 35 of those are product managers and the other 14 are people that have some kind of affiliation to product. So they might be the engineering side, designers, yep. or you know, sales and marketing that work with those product roles. The first thing I tried to look at was the, the attributes that a product manager requires. I gave six different attributes to people and asked them to say for each one. So not ranking in between them, but for each one, how important do you feel they are to a product manager? And what, what I was looking to do is see see where the most popular ones were, where people felt they were most important, but also what the spread was like, because that would indicate more disagreement or less certainty around what was important. So the categories I chose were commercial focus or commercial acumen, should we say, that communication skills, technical expertise, industry expertise, and yeah, strategic thinking and problem solving as well were the categories I looked at. And I mean, I guess I'll ask you out of those that I just mentioned, which do you think would be the one that the consensus was highest, that it was most important to product managers? Uh, I think the consensus was highest. It's hard to know without the... Con I'm, I'm yes, waffling uh, and I'm not yeah, answering your question. I'm turning it back on you. And I, and I say that just because I've had so many different types of product management roles throughout my career and what's 
being meaningful to those roles or important to mm. those roles is, is varied. So in, in the startup space, it's, it's that blend. In an enterprise, it's sort of that 80% head up looking mm-hmm. forward mm-hmm. and maybe 20% head down. Yep. But then I've had the reverse where it's 80% head down, focusing on successful delivery, etc. So it's it's uh, I know I can't give a straight answer to your question, but it's certainly been a, a blend. I can certainly tell you what I enjoy nowadays, which is the strategy, the thinking mm. ahead, interpreting yep. the macro and trying to see 12 to 24 months out and then turn that into meaningful stories and empathy building for today yeah. to drive drive a team yeah. forward. Yeah, and yeah. James, for you. Well, I was going to guess either strategic thinking or industry expertise mm-hmm. would be from from people that are not knowing why they're answering the question. Perhaps, yeah, exactly. Yeah, would kind question. of go, these are the things I think every good product manager needs to have. Yeah. So I think what both of you said is, is really interesting because there are so many different types of product manager and it's kind of what we will get to, I think, later in this chat as well. From the people I surveyed, the most important one consensus-wise was communication skills okay. as that sort of core skill that people have to have. I think it was 82% of people said it was, so the scale was not at all important to extremely important. 82% of people said it was extremely important. And a further 16% said it was very important. So, you know, only one person out of 49 felt it wasn't either very or extremely important. Right, okay. um, strategic thinking and problem solving were the next two. So they were both 98% for those two, but they mm-hmm. were more of a split. In fact, more people thought strategic thinking was only very important, 51%, I think, and then 47% felt it was extremely important. So there was consensus that they were all very important, regardless of the role, generally speaking, you know, the different types mm-hmm. of product management. Where it became a bit cloudier and a bit fuzzier, is the other one so particularly industry expertise actually james you mentioned that was that was important that had the biggest standard deviation so you had a few people that thought it was extremely important and a few people that thought it was not at all important and then the majority sitting in the sort of somewhat important kind of range maybe that's from my uh, engineering background and the reason i thought it might be more important than some of the others is it's that translation piece yeah so when a user says i want you to build me x what they really mean is why. And you'd only really know the nuances of that if you had a lot of domain expertise. Yeah. So I think that's fair. I think from the people I spoke to anecdotally, and I don't want to hypothesize too much about the data, <laughs> but conversations I've had were people were seeing industry as understanding legal or understanding oh, retail okay. versus understanding like digital customer experience. So I think that's where some people felt that it was less important, mm. including myself. If I was to rank that, I would have said me knowing a lot about lawyers is not as important as me learning a lot about how human psychology works and how people think and how people want to view a website. So that was my perception of that. And then the technical expertise, again, a bit of a swing. And being an engineering guy, I don't know what view you have on this, but I've worked with some engineers that want you to understand quite a lot so they can have those detailed discussions with you. And some that kind of want you to leave them alone to be the technical expert and stay at arm's length. So there was a bit of a swing in that one as well. I kind of did that as a bit of a precursor to then the art be science debate. And and for that, I asked um, for four, four different areas, I created a scale. So with the far left-hand side being the art and the far right-hand side being the science, oh, okay. where do you think these things are on this scale? And these people didn't know that I was trying to work out the art be science debate. But the first one was EQ, so, you know, emotional intelligence, ability to make connections, that kind of thing, versus IQ, you know, traditional smarts, mm. uh, being brainy essentially on that one there was a lean towards people feeling that eq was more important 
not a huge one, but but a, but a slight one. The next one was just a very open question on soft skills v hard skills. So a lot of the soft skills we covered in the previous section. You know, do you think that being good at communicating and presenting and relationship building is more important than understanding how to read JavaScript yeah. and what React is and what PHP is and how to create wireframes in Balsamic, which mm. is more important? And again, yeah, a slightly stronger lean towards the soft skills there, actually, in right. that case. The third one was that customer v commercial, and that was much more strongly weighted towards people feeling that that customer lens was more important in product. In fact, I was almost surprised it wasn't further across because I personally see product as the custodian of the customer experience. They are the evangelist for the customer and fighting for what the customer wants, regardless of what maybe commercially on paper makes the most obvious sense. So I looked at those categories and there's a clear swing towards people believing that the art side of things are more important. So from that, you can presume or you can hypothesize that people feel that product management is more an art than a science. But then I asked the question, same scale, art, science. Okay. And people actually, there was a lean towards the science side of things. Around product management. Around product management. Is so product so management is product art management or science? science, same scale. Yep. And there was a lean across the, the group towards people suggesting it's more a bit more science than it is art. That had the widest standard deviation as well, right? Mm-hmm. There was a lot more debate on that topic. Oh, okay. And a lot of comments I've had off the back of it were that people found it really difficult. It depends on the role, the company, the situation. But I found it really interesting that when asked, the question's broken down, mm. people were saying, maybe not realizing it, that product management is more based on the art side of things and the soft skills side of things. But when asked the question, they put it down more as a science. Yeah, interesting. That was really interesting. Okay. Speaks of micro versus macro, doesn't it? You know, absolutely. What's the lens, yeah. Um, Where did you put it on the scale? (laughs) So I'm a consultant. So the phrasing (laughs) consulting for every question is it depends. That's the answer to almost every question in consulting. And I do do think it applies here, but I'm not going to use that as a cop-out. For me, it is more art than science. And when I compare it to, to other jobs that even I've done and that my friends do, my family do, you know, ex-colleagues do, and you use it with that lens, you compare it to engineering, right? Mm. There's no debate to me that product management is more on the outside than engineering is, right? I think we could probably all agree with that. I do think there's a perception, and this is a societal thing, not just a product thing, that something that's scientific is better. So... If you can prove something with facts and data and say to someone, I have a qualification in this, you know, I am a chartered accountant. You have a qualification to say you can do it. I know there are qualifications in product now, but when it's more intangible, it's a lot harder to prove your worth to people. Mm. So while I think it is more art personally, I do also suffer from that same challenge of proving your worth as a product person when a lot of what you do is so intangible. Saying to someone, I've built a really good relationship with so-and-so. so what? Mm. Or the way I create presentations, I create a story, you know, you take them on a journey. To some people, that's nonsense. Yeah. But for me, that is the valuable part of product that maybe sets products apart from some other roles that you get to do both. But for me, it's a slight lean towards the outside. It's of a great interpretation that um, science is valued higher than, than the art. And for someone who has an arts degree <laughs> and a master's Arts degree. I know a computer science <laughs> degree holder. Yeah. We would say it's not worth the paper it's written on. <laughs> I've never said that. I thought it. <laughs> uh, 
um, but, but it, it's certainly, and you're quite right, societal interpretation, culture, etc., is the value of artistic concepts and abstract thought in art versus science, which is all about repeatable processes and peer reviews and mm. some of that stuff. It definitely leans that way. And what for me I'm, I'm thinking about there is is the bias then that comes into completing this survey. Mm. It'd be interesting to almost complete the same survey with the same questions with an engineering yeah, team yeah. or with a service design research team and see how it shapes up industry-wise. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm going to caveat you know, the survey with saying, I know it wasn't perfect, it's not bias-free. I just wanted to use it actually for an anecdotal purpose, really. Yeah, yeah. and I, it, I did enjoy doing it, as well as some of the definitions people came up with for product management that varied so wildly during that survey as well, I found were really interesting. Fantastic. I think it'd be also really interesting to see, it's a shame we can't go back five years but also see ahead five years to mm. see how product management as an industry where it is so loosely defined i think that's a healthy thing where it will go over time as well mm. did you do the survey blind i do you know the answers came from certain people i did the survey blind right so you i was going to ask you like the people that you think are better product managers how did they come uh, that's out, a good point know? no so, i didn't do that i can see who was a product manager and who works with a product manager okay so there was definitely of the people that weren't product managers, they were further to the art side, right? They definitely saw that product is more the soft skills side of the world. But yeah, it was more some of the product managers that felt. Uh, Do you think this, this will change the way you move your career forward um, seeing these insights at all? I think it will definitely change the way I mentor people or give advice to people. Right. I think anyone that's aspiring to be a product manager or is already a product manager isn't sure which way to go. I think there's plenty of options in product where you can be a very technical product manager. Plenty of organizations, particularly the FANG companies, have a real need for incredibly technical people in that, in that space. But I think it gives people an opportunity that maybe don't feel like they have the hard skills, the technical skills. If I'd have known what product management was when I was, say, 15, I think I'd have said, wow, that sounds like me because it's the, the broad range of skills that I enjoy doing. You don't get bored because you're doing things that are scientific and things that are more, more the soft skills. So I think it will help that. And I hopefully at least one person that listens to this thinks, oh, wow, okay, that's something I want to I get into. I think in my career, I'm always trying to focus on the things that I'm not as, as strong at. So I would say I love the strategic thinking piece. Jay, to your point earlier about the 80-20, mm -hmm. I'm in that space now where I'm the 80-20, 80, 20, 80 on, the, on the strategic side, 20% on the delivery side. But I want to continue improving my knowledge of you know technical architectures, technical systems. So I think it's, I just want to be balanced. So I think if I can be somewhere in the middle and look back in five years and say, I've made myself in the middle and I can go one or the other based on the needs of the organization, I'll be happy. So yeah, I think it has changed my outlook a little bit. Fantastic. There's a little bit of timing in, in this conversation, an opportunity for me here, because it's February the 13th we're recording this on. Brexit happened two weeks mm. ago, uh, near enough, and I'm speaking to someone who leads product that transcends European borders, France, Belgium, Italy, and yeah, the UK. that's right. Can I ask, and I'll keep the politics out, out mm -hmm. of this, mm -hmm. has Brexit impacted you as a product leader that crosses those borders? So as someone in product, it hasn't impacted us from a company perspective. I've still been able to travel freely, although I haven't. I'm going next week to France, so I'll let you know if I if I manage to get there and back. Um, what it has in, in, impacted is is our lawyers. So because we're big in the legal space, right, um, okay. anyone that's working on immigration law right. is perhaps getting a larger volume of work than they had previously. But no, really, I think with conference calls and things like that, 
which people use these days, which are not perfect. I still think the relationship we have across those borders um, hasn't really been affected, but we're still waiting for things to play out, you know, over the course of this year and into next year. But yeah, for now, touch wood. And the products themselves, there's nothing you've had to do pre-Brexit in terms of readiness for this? Not really. I mean, all the same guidelines in terms of GDPR, we're still following those. Right. Um, I believe we, you know, we're, we're still signed up to those. We're not going to suddenly withdraw from all of those as right. the UK. So from that perspective, we're still comfortable with where we're at. But no, there's not really been anything yet we've had to do from a product approach. Right, good um, to which hear. Is, which is good. But yeah. I, yeah, I'm always keeping my eye out for things that change the industry or the market uh, yeah. in general. So we'll yeah. see. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. This has been a great session. Thank you yeah. very much. I've really enjoyed chatting through. I love the approach that you've gone about asking a question, research, taking some data. Obviously, you've got your own gut feel on yeah, it as well and shared that with us. So It's a very um, scientific approach to ask, is it art or science? Yeah. That's the irony, so, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the art side of it was you just hit the bar, Break open a beer. <laughs> yeah. You know, these arts degree holders. <laughs> go and ask a few questions and yeah, come up with a hypothesis. That's it. Yeah. Paint it out um, and away you go. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much, Chris. No worries. Thanks, Thanks for me. supporting the tour as well and the bushfire communities. Thanks for hosting us here for all of the London podcasts at We Work in Holborn. And I really enjoyed the session. Yep, definitely. Great to meet you guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks very Thanks much. Cheers. Thank you all for listening in on the podcast or if you're watching on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, etc. Hope you join us again for another episode. If you've found this session valuable, please remember I'm doing all of these recordings to raise awareness and funds for the bushfire affected communities of Australia. If you'd like to show your support because you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to bushfire.productcoalition.com. Until the next episode, thank you very much. Cheers.